All right, welcome back to Sweat the Details. This is Jonathan Kaufman. We are here uh, with uh, uh, Jim Duncan and Keith Davis, uh, sitting around the table and having a conversation about um, what's happening in the real estate industry and what's happening at Nest. So we just finished, we just wrapped up our uh, two-day, two or two-and-a-half-day um, lead broker summit, and what the lead, what, you know, what I guess the first question is, what's a lead broker? A lead broker uh, in our world is a is one of our uh, franchisees or leaders from our um, from our offices uh, across the country. So right now we have twelve uh, locations in four states, and so we brought in leadership from all of our locations for the last couple of days for our lead broker summit. We do it uh, one time in the summer and one time in the winter, and this was our summer get together. And we're the type of company that likes to, even though we do something every year, we like to change it up every year. So each year at the Lead Broker Summit, what we do is we talk about uh, what's happening in the industry, what's happening with the market um, across the board, uh, what is Nest up to, what are our, what have we accomplished recently, what are our projects we're working on, uh, what do we have the next coming down the pipeline the next six months or so. Um, and then this year we we change it up a little bit. Uh, we are, you know, part of our DNA is looking outside the real estate industry at different companies to see what other companies, other successful companies, have done and are doing uh, to continue pushing the envelope and, and staying relevant uh, and, and, and being successful. So we spent a morning, uh, the first full day we spent together, we spent a morning and we, and we split our, our group of, uh, we had probably had a little over 30 people with us here this time, and we split our groups into four, uh, into, into four groups and sent them off to um, different successful businesses around Charlottesville. Yeah, so you know, one of the things we always try to look at are kind of areas of focus that we at Nest need to be um, really cognizant of and, and paying attention to. And with lead brokers, you know, they're spending all of their days running their business, working with their agents, and they're focused, um, you know, specifically on their area. And being able to get out and see other markets is uh, it's always helpful, and and it's just enlightening to see what other industries are going through. So. We did, you know, as Jonathan just said, we we split up into four kind of uh, groups that went to to four different companies here in Charlottesville. We went out to Crutchfield Electronics. We went to the Draftsman Hotel, which is a Marriott autograph collection property. We visited Three Notch Brewery, and we had a group that went over to Farmington Country Club. And so we went to four very different places. But we had we had identified these groups because there are five focal points that we wanted to to have all the brokers thinking about that translate well into um, things that leaders in the real estate industry need to be thinking about. And so our, our five points that we wanted them talking to these organizations about were, you know, number one, service training. And how does one um, get their employees and, and independent contractors, agents to be thinking in a consistent mindset of service? Uh, one was was planning for corporate growth and really the strategies of of when is the right time to go after opportunities and to to change the model of your business. Uh, we had them looking at, at instilling corporate culture and and being able to utilize your client base to, to help build that corporate culture and, and how we work with, with our, our independent contractors. We were looking at, at you know, companies, and we'll talk in a second about Farmington and kind of some of their long-term investments and just the, the actual physical plant that's important within an organization and how that can change the the long-term strategies. And and then the final piece that we wanted them to think about was the importance of, of the local uh, environment in which they operate. So how does, how does a hotel like the draftsman utilize the Charlottesville environment differently than an autograph collection hotel that's up in Alexandria? Um, 
different markets, different kind of different important pieces. And and so we we enjoy going to these four places and coming back and sharing what we found. I think one of my favorite parts about the whole thing was uh, at the at the end as we were doing as Jonathan was doing his wrap up, uh, one of the brokers sort of, he raised his hand and he said, "I just want to say thank you." For doing this, uh, get, get, giving us the opportunity to go to these different companies is something that we might not have done on our own, and it really opened my eyes to, to the ways that ser- the service thread is consistent through all of them. Um, but Keith, you were talking about you know Farmington, and what was you know what was one, were there any highlights for for the team that went there that you wanted to, to hit on? Yeah, I mean we had we had specifically picked Farmington, um, and and for the listeners who don't know Charlottesville, Farmington's a a country club that started in the 1920s, kind of in the heyday of of American clubs, and it has obviously gone through many changes over the near century of its operation. But in the last 15 years, last 10 to 15 years, it really has tried to reinvent and remake the way in which their membership utilizes the club. And so um, we had, you know, we want to talk to them about service training. Obviously, it's you know a country club that relies upon service to to maintain membership uh, satisfaction, but it's also a group where members have changed dramatically the way they spend time at the club. And so one of the things that we were really talking about, um, you know, one of the the larger uh, projects that they've undertaken was they took out a nine-hole golf course that was um, not they t- used. They took it out? Well, they, they, they tore up a nine-hole golf course and in its place had rebuilt a 10-hole par three course along with a uh, what's called a short course practice area where you can, it's really just more of a, a short, quick use practice area, um, along with a new driving range, and the the focus was because members don't utilize golf courses as often now as frequently for five hour play. They want to use it for an evening after work with with a child or with a friend or with you know a smaller group of players, and and being able to replace nine holes with something that is a more challenging but an hour and a half event instead of a five hour event has kind of changed the way that you know it's it's reacting to the way members are are changing their um their actual use and their their spending of leisure time. And so being able to think in terms of how we as a real estate firm are utilizing office space, um changing from a, a time when agents required, demanded, wanted private use offices to now more of a, a public Starbucks feel, if you will, uh, within the offices. And I think part of this is just it's it's maintaining relevance to what your what your consumers, which in, in our case are the agents, what they're doing. Right. And that I think the office space is a great analogy of this concept of we work and and flex office uh, usage across the country is people can work in a variety of different spots, right? At Nest and many of our some of our locations, we have multiple offices where agents can pop back and forth between different offices depending on a where they're located, but b what type of work environment that they're looking for at that time. If they need privacy, then they can rent a room and or reserve a room in a certain uh, a certain office. But I mean that that I think that's a great analogy. That's one thing that we've seen changing. Um, from an agent perspective, is as we provide more online and digital tools that can be utilized, if they can work out of their house, or they can work from a coffee shop, or they can work from the Nest office, or they can work from you know from from any you know any restaurant anywhere. Um, it's 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 important to kind of stay ahead and stay cognizant cognizant of those trends. Well, and I, I think you know beyond the physical plan because they they have the obvious correlations. It's it's also the fact that. Every real estate firm out there is spending more and more money on digital, um, whether it's 
web, whether it's social, whether it's it's you know in the case of Nest with the creation of Nest Printmaker and being able to to create on the fly marketing pieces, it's just reacting to what agents are currently needing and currently doing and and the way they're doing their job, and it's not relying upon a a twelve person staff who can custom design each flyer with a four day delay because that's you know what. Photoshop takes and and right. you know what those departments were doing in the past. I'd I'd push back on one uh, one word you use reacting. Uh, I'd say that you know I don't know. I'd say that reacting maybe sometimes happens too late. I'd say when you're paying attention to trends and you can proactively sure. make those adjustments. Like for example, your the story about the golf course at Farmington. Clearly, that's a trend that. Um, you pay attention to what's happening in the marketplace. You pay attention to number of tee times that are being booked, and you proactively get ahead of. All right, the, the, you know our, our our tee times are sliding because yeah. people don't have five hours. And the same thing has happened with with office space. We did recently in Charlottesville rearranged office space. We have had five of our nest offices have had renovations in the past twelve months. Um, proactively getting ahead of you know kind of the trends of 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 office usage and of the industry. Mark this. When in in Farmington, how did they sell the changes to the membership? I mean, was there any was there any pushback from a broader sense, or did they, you know, wh- wh- how do they sell that? Yeah, we we talked about it a, a pretty good amount. I think it has been. Um, I think there are two different sides to that, and I think it, it depends on which group of membership you speak to. Um, one of the 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 big responses is is that of the. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact stat, but the, of the 150 newest members, um, the average age is something like 17 years below the average age of the club itself. So what's what's happened is that based upon its relevance to what the membership usage is, it's also attracting a new class of of members. Um, I think the I think the average age you were saying was 42 for the new members, but it you know there are, it's not just the golf; it's a number of things. So you know people were demanding more casual dining. Um, and so one of the responses was actually, um, something that Farmington did that no other, you know, no other club in the country had ever done, which was they went out and invested in a food truck and they found a way to bring food, bring services to members in ways that they are used to seeing in, you know, in their common everyday life into that membership. And so I think when you're asking how did members respond, the answer is the club was was trying to predict how they were going to, what they were going to want to see anyway and bringing that bringing that to them in a direct and and you know relevant way i mean the thread you know, one a, a farmington food truck fascinates me oh it's great I like that alliteration that was I, I i thought about that um but no the, i think that the the thread that i heard through the conversations was was relevant i mean you look at you know three notch relevant with their brand with the the, the three notches on the road you know crutchfield we'll come back to them in a second the draftsman the hotel. I mean, they they try to be relevant to every location they go to. Yeah. I mean, they, it's not a matter of dropping in a Marriott brand. It's a matter of coming in and understanding, you know, who they want to be. And I thought one of the interesting things was they put their staff on bus tours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so one of the one of the items that the group who who went to the draftsman came back and said when they hired the staff they they put them on an eight hour tour of the whole Albemarle County Charlottesville area so that when uh, guests came to the hotel and said, I'd like to go to a winery. They said, oh, my, my favorite winery is King Family Vineyard, and you ought to go out and try the Crozet Rosé. And, and they knew what they were speaking of, and they knew it from a firsthand experience. And that's just something you don't find at a Fairfield Inn. I, I, honestly, I, I, when they mentioned that, I, I, I kind of want to take that tour just yeah. to see what I'm missing. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, 
without, I wasn't on that tour, but it, it is also interesting that in the past, it seems like hotels would have a concierge that would sit behind a desk and you would walk up to the concierge and say, help me with this or get me tickets to this or where should I go for this? And what it sounds like the, uh, what Draftsman's doing is they're giving that knowledge of a concierge to their whole staff. You know, whole staff. So you can walk up to the front desk and you can ask the bartender and they'll they'll know uh, they'll know that information. So you know, it just makes it much more approachable, right? I mean, we, we won't get into this, but there's a lot of banks that are trying to get away from the walking up to the teller and looking across, kind of having that uh, having that gate that that you walk up to a teller and there's kind of this um, you know this there's a barrier this, so, this barrier that's exactly right that's the word I'm looking for this barrier and so um, removing that barrier makes it much more of a conversational. Uh, a conversational situation. I'm going to take that for a second because the in in Crozet where I live to the west of Charlottesville, they built a new branch for the EVA Credit Union, and there there I mean it's, there are two branches in Crozet. One's uh, old and new, and the new one there's no barrier. The manager's up there in a, a stool behind the behind the four tellers, and you walk in and he's standing up there just being friendly. I mean, just as friendly as he, as he was before when I went and got money, <laughs> but it's just a very different experience. The, he's not behind a door. Yeah, so it was the first time I'd seen a bank of that that new nature, if you will, that sort of removed that barrier and made it more accessible. They still gave me my money, but you know. Yeah. Um, but shifting back to Crutchfield, you know, that for for those of us who lived in Charlottesville, they were they've been around for forty years, something like that. Forty five. And when I was a kid, they were you know the 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 magazine came came every quarter, and you just devoured it, and you looked at all the stuff, you read all the reviews, and they have been. And they're phenomenal, and they they started forty five years ago. They made it through the crash. They made it through the Amazoning of of the world, and they're still a remarkable company. When you think about the number of legacy catalog companies, forget forget the fact that this is electronics, but just true catalog legacy companies that just have fallen by the wayside have have no place if they're even in business now. It's a struggling piece. I mean, you listening to a podcast recently on Lands End Catalog and the recreation of of trying to trying to keep Land's End going and, you know, with Sears and those tie-ins. And it's, it's fascinating. And Crutchfield has managed to exist in a world of Amazon and Best Buy um, and maintain family ownership, maintain a focus on the people who work there. You know, one of the, one of the great stories I heard was, you know, when they were talking with, with the HR guy, he said, we do count our employees, but we really think of them more as, as being the number of families that, that we're responsible for. And that that's, an important factor of how Crutchfield looks at the entire culture of the of the organization. Right. It seems. It really seems like I. You know, I spent uh, about ninety minutes there um, the other day with the team, and uh, it seems like they really are a, a you know a big family business. They care about their people tremendously, uh, and it 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 shows. I mean, it shows just walking through the the halls. People knew each other's names. Um, there was a just a great vibe, a great tone. Um, and you know, one thing I'd say we we talked to them about what their onboarding process was about when they brought people on new new employees, sure. um, what they did, and and they they liked to tell they didn't just like to say hey here's the here's the values of the company and list them out. They like to tell stories to explain those values and why they were important um, to the company. So I think that you know that that's a something great for us. As a as a brand to think about is not just say hey we you know we care about professionalism or we you know or you know we, we believe design is important right that, that's one thing but it, be, being able to show 
um, and tell us stories about why design is important and how it's helped our our agents build trust with their clients is something that we can uh, that we can take from that. But they also with their with their new employees, they put them in touch with existing employees, and they said and they wanted those existing employees to tell them their journey. Uh, to get to Crutchfield and their their t- about their time at Crutchfield. So once again, it, it it was a storytelling approach to it, but it it added personality to it. It added a familiarity with face and just really kind of I would imagine helped to build that that vibe and that culture uh, a lot quicker than than if somebody came in on day one and they were just said, hey, hey here's your desk and your computer. Uh, meet people at the water cooler. Well. It was, it was something also that you know again look back, reflecting back when I was when I was a kid and, and that's just where you went to get stuff. You know, we had Circuit City and Best Buy and and Crutchfield, and you just went to Crutchfield because they they all knew what they were talking about. Right. You could you could go in and you could go to almost anybody in the store and say I need to hear about this receiver or this you know, stereo set or, or whatever. And they all knew they knew the answers to all of your questions. Well, and that's why you know somebody asked do they still do the catalog and I you know. I was humored by the fact that literally a week before um, or a week after we we set up the meeting to take the team to Crutchfield, I actually got a catalog in the mail from them. It, but it's not a catalog. It's not a turn to page 12 for stereo receivers. It is on page 12 is a story about Jim and the car that Jim drives and why the equipment that he has in it is there and why he recommends this subwoofer or this amp. And it's it's still about the people who are there and connecting with them. And it's that storytelling aspect of, of how do you add a little bit of value beyond here are the ohms that this is, you know, it, it's, it's not a stat sheet anymore. It's a, it's a personal referral from, for every product they have. One of the aspects that really amazed me with Crutchfield is how ahead of the time they, they were being a 45 year old company, the things that they were doing, um, uh, two day shipping, you know, one day shipping and two day shipping years ago, even before Amazon was even a word, right. uh, they were doing that. I mean, that that's amazing. So just kind of the proactivity um, of training their employees and having their employees know the products out there so they could answer those questions, so they could help somebody install it. All that uh, is what's helping them thrive in an environment where Amazon and Costco and and other companies are coming in with much lower costs, but Crutchfield's adding value. The, the the word that they kept using over and over was over and over was how do we add value? And we don't add. They don't see themselves as adding value just by selling a piece of electronics equipment. They add value through experience and through expertise and through how do we install this or how do you install this? They were the first company. In the country to have a one eight hundred number for customer service and tech support, which is which is phenomenal. Every one eight hundred number up until that point was sales, and so if a company had a one eight hundred number, then it was to sell something to you. But they were there; they staffed a customer service center to just to questions. help people answer questions um, about how to install equipment. The other thing that I think they did that was just you know simple but ingenious is that you'd get you'd get stereo equipment in the mail. From from Crutchfield after you'd order it, and there would be this like you know gaggle of wires. Like, what do I do with these wires? So they thought, well, geez, people get confused by this. Let's have a better customer experience for them. So they started labeling all the wires. So so when they opened the instruction manual or when they called the one eight hundred number, they knew hey the red wire is for S video and the green wire is for this or the yellow wire is for this. Um, and those are just little things mm-hmm. that really can help improve. 
the customer experience and will keep uh, keep people being raving fans of Crutchfield. What's well, you know op- opening that box is 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 it's intimidating. It's all it's stuff you don't know and it, it looks scary. It's a mess of wires and you don't know what to do. But when you and I think we were talking you know, before we started recording, it's you know their role is to is to simplify the process and to explain it so you can understand and make it accessible. And it's sort of like what we do with you know with with our agents. You know, as we try to make it so that our agents are in a position to explain to the client, here's what's coming down the line. Right. I mean, and, and that's you know, and we've been working on our our internal transaction management and and you know customer relationship management system for the last year now, and enrolling that out with with you know it's called Envoy. But what we've rolled out to our agents is now a system that once a client goes under contract, they've got a portal where they can go and not just see what's going to happen, but be able to see the steps that have been taken by the agent that maybe the the client wasn't having to see every every piece of how the sausage is made kind of thing. And and instead, they're getting a list of what's taken place, when it took place. They've got documents at their disposal. And it's just, again, trying to simplify the process for clients. It's trying to make it something that's accessible and not terrifying. So we, in the in the lead broker summit, we were talking... Uh, how was the what was the number of times that uh, the clients have checked in on their the what's next portal? I mean, there are so right now when a client has access to a to a uh, client portal, they're logging in an average of eleven times during the transaction to kind of check up to date to see what's happening um, with their transaction. And the, the the idea behind our client portal is to relieve stress. Like buying a home, selling a home is a stressful process. We all know that, you know. Getting consumer electronics from Crutchfield and being alone in your home with this gaggle of wires and stereo equipment and ha- trying to figure out how to install it—that's a stressful experience. And Crutchfield was proactive and and figured a way out to uh, to hope you know to hopefully release some stress. And that's what we're trying to do with with our with our what's next program client yeah. portal. And I'll and I'll just go you know give you the quick background behind it. I you know about, probably about four or five years ago, I was sitting at my desk. And one of our agents in Charlottesville was on the phone with a with an unhappy, stressed client, and uh, there was a couple minute conversation. I was kind of eavesdropping, and the agent came into my office and he said, "I need some help here. Um, I just listed my client's house three days ago. It went under contract in three days, and he just called me up and he was stressed that his property that he that we listed was no longer showing on the portals. It wasn't on nestrealty.com anymore. It wasn't on Zillow. It wasn't on Realtor.com. It wasn't on Trulia." And he was upset because he wasn't sure if his property was going to actually. It was still contingencies, and he wasn't sure if it was going to make it to right. to the end of the of the uh, to, to the closing table. So um, the agent, uh, in his mind, he sells thirty to forty houses a year, and this is what happens when you put a property under contract. You mark it as contingent in the MLS, and it stops syndicating to to the portals. He, our agent knew that. He just forgot to tell the client. Because we did this is what we do every day, mm-hmm. and so what would, that was is that was a, a trigger to us to say we need to build a program where an agent after a property goes under contract, hey, what's next? Uh, uh, you have a listing, and and it sells. What's next? You have a buyer that goes under contract. What's next? So we put together um, four years ago a, a uh, what's next program, which was a kind of a step by step process of what happens next during the transaction. And we honed that over three or four years and we have turned it digital now with an envoy that an agent can 
press a button and clients have access to a portal and they can they can track that uh, almost like the you know we, we joke a little bit the Domino's pizza tracker when you order a pizza from Domino's um, there's a there's a tracker so if you spend seven dollars at Domino's you get a pizza tracker and if you buy a house with Nest Realty you get a transaction tracker to see what's happening and, and what your responsibilities are and what we're working on yeah I think you know Keith up with this on you was there was there a thread through all four places? That you know, I know you mentioned the the five the five topics, but what's what one common thread? You know, it's it's funny. We we picked each of these. We we came up with the five topics that we wanted to study, and we looked for companies that we felt reflected at least two of those values and could could speak to them specifically. I think in the end, every single group came back with with one focus, and that is that management had to have an absolute priority of what they wanted from their organization and that it had to be completely focused on the people that were either members or employees or you know, you know whether it's consumer client however you want to phrase it but it's it was the focus each of these groups the you know from three notch to draftsman they're all focused on the people who are using their product and and who are benefiting from it and that you know it's 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 people yeah, I, mean, I think that's something that you know we we talk all the time about the things that we do uh, as technology evolves. As you know, in all these companies, you know, Crutchfield has changed a little bit in forty five years with technology. The hotels have changed, and these all have all changed. But the one commonality through everything are the humans. Yeah, you know, the human factors is the is the thing that continues to be the the focus for everybody. And I think that the recognition of the you know, frankly, the humanity of what of what we do and what they do, and making sure we're focused on on the right things, both you know, from our perspective, the the clients, the agents, our team, is is the thing we need to do. Right. And I, you know, it's it's interesting. We've we've done these summits now for eight years for our agents and and lead brokers. Maybe nine years for our agents, and this is probably the fourth year of lead broker specific um, gatherings and. This is the first time we've we've gone out and done the actual site visits. We've talked a lot about what other companies are doing, but we haven't done the the site visits till now. And I can say, it's just it's eye opening to be able to get in and see what other industry leaders are doing in their organizations and and how it relates. And it's just it was a fantastic couple of days. I agree with you, and I think that one thing that we have taken away from uh, the these meetings is we would love to start to bring in some of these folks that we met with yeah. for, for future podcasts and yeah. talk to them and really drill down even more because I think there's a lot more we can learn. Um, I know that through conversations we had with these these other businesses that they were interested in learning from us. Uh, and I think that there's there's a lot to lot to learn out there. Knowledge sharing is a good thing. <laughs>